scheduled city council meeting in Vacaville. Uh, with that, can I have a roll call? Council Agency Authority Member Stockton? Here. Silva? Here. Chapman? Here. Roberts? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Ritchie? Here. Mayor Chair Carley? Here. If you're able, please stand with me for a moment of silence. Councilmember Stockton, will you lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? Pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Mr. City Manager, do we have any changes to tonight's agenda? Do I have a motion? Motion to approve the agenda. Second. Good motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, approval of the minutes. Do we have a motion? Motion approved. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And seeing no presentations tonight, um, we're on to the consent calendar. We have two items. Any member of the council of the public wishing to pull an item for discussion? Seeing none, do I have a motion? Motion to approve the So we have a motion to approve. Do I have a second? Second. We have a motion to second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Business from the floor. This is a time for a member of the public to address the council in our jurisdiction, although not an, for only an item that's not on tonight's agenda. So I'm going to open it up for business from the floor. Good evening. Um, first of all, I just wanted to come and extend my thank you to the entire city council um, for listening to all of our comments and concerns over the past year about the Menard battery storage project. Um, I really appreciate it, and I'm sincerely grateful for your decision to turn down that project. Um, not only have you kept my family safe, but you've kept Vacaville safe, and um, I am sincerely <laughs> grateful. Um, the project could have affected our city in a negative way, and I also want to thank our community for getting involved. There were a lot of people that were involved and spent time on the cause, and I can't name them all, but I wanted to give a special shout out to Leo Escarsica. He was at uh, all the community events, gathering signatures for the petition <clears throat> signings, and he put a lot of hours in there. And so I just wanted to recognize him publicly for that. Um, and he didn't even live very close to the facility, so I just wanted to give him that thanks. Um, I also wanted to um, let you know that this morning, the County Board of Supervisors meeting, they voted unanimously to put a moratorium on battery storage projects in the county. So that was effective today. Um, during that project, the Menard Energy Project, we learned a lot about battery storage. And I think the project was eye-opening. Um, I, as a member of the public, I learned a lot. And I know the city learned a lot from that as well. I do believe that battery storage in Vacaville, that discussion's not over. And so um, this will be an ongoing thing that will be brought up time and time again. And as we've seen, we've already had several projects being proposed for the city. And so um, I think because of our, our substation, being the large substation, that's gonna be an ongoing problem that needs to be addressed. Um, additionally, I wanted to request, if possible, 
that some members of my group be updated about the consultant that was hired, the L&T consultant for distributed energy projects. And if possible, we could be like the um, public, um, give the public input, input on those projects or just have an outside opinion um, if that's at all possible. But we just wanna stay involved because we put so much effort into learning about these systems and we want to make, um, you know, uh, contribute our input as well as with the city to come out with the best projects possible. So that's it. And thank you again, sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Council. Um, something I'd, I'd like to point out is, isn't it amazing how a citizen in the community can bring people of all stripes together on a common issue and let their voices be heard? I know it sounds kind of silly from me, but I hope that the council celebrates the idea that somebody like Sarah, who did all that work and brought people together for the good of the community. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, members of the council. Um, I have here last Friday's copy of the Vacaville Reporter. I hope that all of you read it. They've got an interesting article in here, very long, about community leaders react to the ballot initiative that was put out by our dear friends at Flannery Associates, otherwise known as California Forever. Have any of you ever heard Mr. Schmetnick speak of Solano County or the residents therein. It's like he's talking about something he wiped off his boot heel. That's the person who's the CEO of California Forever. And if you read this article, which I hope you all read, you'll no notice that House member Garamendi who represents most of Solano, Solano County, but not our portion. He's very, very frank and critical about what he believes California Forever, their, their city, is going to do to Solano County. I don't hear, I hear comments in here about what the mayor of Fairfield thinks is going to happen, and it's not good. I see comments from uh, the vice mayor of Sassoon, she's not for it. From members of the Vacaville City Council, we hear nothing. The only thing that is mentioned in this article is a mem Mr. Fortney, who's a member of our planning commission, I, I read here, is that he is also a member of the California Forever Advisory Committee. This seems kind of strange to me. I think that he's serving two masters and I get the idea which one pays better. Oh yeah, that is an appointed position that he's in. I wonder if perhaps the city council should not consider that appointment because I don't think that that gentleman is representing Vacaville's needs. I think he's representing their desires because 
if you read into their plans for their thousand plus acre solar farm and all that, that is going to drive Travis Air Force Base out of here. And if Travis goes, we're right down the toilet. We will be nothing more than the fiefdom for the multi-billionaires that are creating that city. We will pay for everything. Read Congressman Garabendi's comments. I think they're very enlightening. Yeah, thank you. Seeing no one else, I'm gonna close business from the floor. And uh, I do not see any public hearings. So we will move on to item nine, yeah, nine A, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the City Council. This first item before you is a resolution for a second amendment to the uh, disposition, development, and loan agreement that the city has with Habitat for Humanity. Tamara Colden from your Housing and Ser Community Services Department is here with the presentation. Good evening, uh, Mayor Carly, Vice Mayor Wiley, and uh, other council members. Tonight, I'm here to present uh, the item of amending the Disposition Development and Loan Agreement, or DDLA, between the City of Vacaville and Solano Habitat for Humanity, and approving an expenditure adjustment to the 2023-2024 fiscal year operating budget. Um, so back in November of 2022, City Council authorized the uh, application and adoption of the Permanent Local Housing Allocation Plan, or PLHA, um, for the city, as well as application of the PLHA funding um, program. This funding is to provide financial assistance to local governments for eligible housing-related projects. And the city's um, HCD, or Housing and Community Development Approved PLH Plan, allows the city to use its PLHA funds for pre-development, development, acquisition, rehab, and preservation of affordable rental and homeownership units. Um, that includes a ADUs or accessory dwelling units uh, that meet the need of a growing workforce, earning up to 120% of the area median income. This uh, HCD sent uh, the standard agreement and that was executed in June of 2023. That includes the 2019, 2020, and 2021 allocations. Um, and the 22 and 23 allocations are still projections from HCD. So those have not been finalized uh, and the department will receive a, a amended standard agreement once those amounts are finalized from HCD. PLH requirements uh, require that this uh, disbursement of funds within 58 months of the budget appropriation year and that the city requests those funds to meet that 58 month deadline. Uh, so for the 2019 allocation, that means that the funding amount of $240,500 must be dispersed to the city by April 30th of 2024. Taking into consideration the PLHA guidelines and the city's PLH plan, staff has identified the Solano Napa Habitat for Humanity um, Affordable Homeownership Project for recommendation to receive the 2019 allocation. 
Uh, on top of the activities that are identified in the city's PLHA plan, the city's plan allocates 70% of its overall funds towards rental rehab projects and reserves the remaining 30% of the funds towards homeownership projects. Uh, there are currently no uh, rental rehab projects that are in a position to start spending the funds and being the, home, the uh, only homeownership project uh, that staff um, is aware of that needs uh, funding. The Habitat project is eligible under the reserved homeownership funds for the PLHA program. Uh, in addition, the Habitat project is at a stage where it has received entitlements, it's pending its uh, NEPA environmental assessment, and is in a position to spend the funds uh, on pre-development costs for the project. Draft loan, the draft second amendment to the DDLA, as well as an amended and restated promissory note, were required to be submitted to the state by January 15th. Um, so those were drafted and submitted for review. And staff still rating uh, any comments back from HCD on those documents. And if approved uh, tonight, any comments or modifications required by HCD to approve those documents will be incorporated um, before they are executed by the city manager or his designee. So tonight, the action for, consider, for your consideration is approving the second amendment to the DDLA with Solano, uh, Solano Napa Habitat for Humanity to include the additional $240,500 in PLHA funding and to amend an expenditure adjustment to the 2023-2024 fiscal operating budget uh, in the amount of that $240,500. With that, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Yeah. Thank you for the presentation. There, there is a question that I, that I can see. Councilmember Silva. Uh, thanks for the uh, presentation and request. Uh, really excited about this particular project. Uh, when, uh, from your perspective, do we have an estimate of when it'll break ground and uh, anticipated completion? Uh, that is a great question. I do not have that information prepared with me, but I believe there is a representative from Solano Habitat, Solano Napa Habitat that could answer that question. Forward. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor Carley, uh, council members. Thanks very much for this opportunity. Um, so, council member Silva, thanks for the question. We anticipate that by the second quarter of calendar 2025, we should be able to break ground on installing the infrastructure. It's the 10-unit development will require a, a street. Uh, so, installation of the street and the underground utilities uh, could begin as early as Q2 2025. Um, and then just uh, thanks for coming out. And one follow-up question. Uh, one thing that we see is that, you know, from the time, you know, when there's there's funding available, estimates are made, you know, the longer it takes, obviously, with inflation and other issues, uh, that goes up. Uh, what's uh, typically in your experience, what do you, what do you anticipate with possible increased costs with this project? Yeah, difficult. By the way, I don't think I introduced myself. My name's Andrew Killeen. I'm the executive director for Solano Napa Habitat for Humanity. Um, 
in terms of cost inflations, uh, really tough to project. We do right now have a projection for a total project cost of 4.8 million. Uh, that's all link, including the installation of infrastructure. If we break ground on um, the installation of the infrastructure Q2 next year, uh, in accordance with the terms of the DDLA, uh, we're obliged to complete construction once we go vertical within three years. So uh, if we complete infrastructure by the end of 2025, uh, then the vertical construction should be done by the end of 2028. Um, our 4.8 million projection anticipates sort of two or three years out. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but that is our, our best projection at this point. So, and that was my last question, just uh, with when when those figures are come to, uh, came up with, um, is it built in, do you guys built in or the anticipated increased costs? Yeah, when we did come up with those numbers, it was November of 2022. Uh, we were already uh, aware of all the terms of the DDLA, which pretty much put the project in about a five-year time frame. So those, those figures were rolled in. I, I can say, just as a word of caution, when the pandemic hit, there was an escalation in costs that we simply couldn't have anticipated. So we have a project that's moving forward in Fairfield right now. Uh, but there, there was cost es escalations that we, we didn't accurately uh, predict. But generally speaking, uh, five year out is generally pretty accurate, and it does anticipate regular inflation. Thank you, Andrew. You got it. Thanks very much. Vice Mayor Ritchie. Oh, sir. Sir. Um, <clears throat> you brief everything you said. When I was reviewing information, my, my concern was time, when to break ground, the cost construction. At 4.8 million, what is estimated as of now, cost per unit? Because, you know, at 80% AMI, and then the, I think the AMI for like a four person um, dwelling is like 83,000 and change. So 80% of that's like six, 7,000. So like, I just wanna make sure that we have a rational number because if we're gonna if we're gonna expect someone that makes eighty percent of the AMI to afford that house, they can only qualify for sixty-seven thousand dollars for four people divided by twelve. It's really tight, so I want to make sure that let's not like be surprised if it doesn't work out. Like let's plan ahead to make sure the people that put the sweat equity into this house can have the opportunity to own the house they live in. Uh, so, Council Member Ritchie, it's it's a really good question and. and and I'm inferring that you may come from the for-profit real estate world because... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so what, what happens thanks to the <clears throat> Habitat model is, um, irrespective of what our costs are, uh, the Habitat model demands that uh, we originate a first mortgage that's affordable to the low-income family. So those monthly payments of uh, principal on the loan, homeowner's insurance, and property taxes will be 30% of their income, no matter what the cost to, to develop the homes were, uh, then we originate, we'll sell the house for the fair market value, we'll have it appraised, we'll sell it to them for the fair market value, and we'll originate a soft second that'll encumber the title. It's not, no periodic payments are due, it becomes due on sale. So they'll make affordable payments no matter what. Uh, we carry that soft second, and it'll continue to encumber the title. The um, the disposition, development, and loan agreement require that for 45 years we keep it in the affordable space. Uh, that's our mandate. 
if the house uh, sells, we, we reserve the first right to purchase through a, a deed restriction. We'll buy it back. Uh, the terms of that repurchase are defined, and then we'll have to sell it to another low-income family with affordable financing again. So, so uh, families not being able to afford the homes would never be an obstruction to this project moving forward or this, the homes selling. We will sell them uh, for uh, with affordable financing. So you would be able to keep on increasing that second to make sure that the first trust deed is affordable for, by that homeowner? Yep. Okay. That's the model. Okay. That's perfect. Thanks for the question. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. This is a question for the staff. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Appreciate it. Um, I'm looking between the two. Okay, it's not um, regarding the 240,000 that's being allocated tonight. However, I'm looking at the future years that are listed here, 2020, 21, 22, 23. For each of those years, we have 58 months in which to get them um, to identify where we wish to uh, have those funds designated or used. And so with that, have we begun looking at future projects or where are we with the remaining funds? Uh, that's a good question. So. Uh, yes, with each of the years allocated, we have 58 months from that uh, year that the funds were budgeted um, in order to ha request for disbursement of the funds. Uh, so the 2020 funds, will, we will need to request disbursement no later, well, by uh, the funds will need to be dispersed by April 30th of 2025 and then so on. And, and 2024. For the 2020 fund, so the 2020, plus two months. So that's really just four years and two months. It's 58 months. So it's 58 months. Let me go back to the slide. Right. So I can get the correct wording. So it's 58 months of the budget appropriation. So that's within the state appropriating the funding for that budget. So it's 58 months from that date. So it ends up calculating out to April 30th. Um, so for the 2019 funds, that's April 30th of 2024. For the 2020 funds, it'll be April 30th of 2025. And that is 58 months from the time that the state appropriated that budget. I hope that answers the question. Okay, yes. All right, and we've already begun earmarking or looking at future projects. Yes, yeah, so from the time that we re uh, apply for and receive the standard agreement for the fund, staff has been uh, considering projects that might be appropriate for this funding. And while we were aware of the April uh, 30th date, um, not until the end, of, towards the end of December, where did HCD notify staff of um, some pending dates before that that we needed to meet prior to that April 30th date. So, with the, um, having to submit draft 
uh, loan documents to the state by January 15th and having to actually request the funds by March 1st um, is when staff was made aware of those additional dates to get us to the disbursement by April 30th. Um, so we will make sure, staff will make sure that we incorporate that timeline into the next year's funding uh, when considering projects that might be eligible or suitable for additional year's funding. Okay, it looked like we were very close to losing those funds. And it's um, definitely staff's intent to make sure that we uh, build in enough cushion or enough time for council to make considerations like these. Um, but again, just for this first round of funding, not until uh, very recently was staff made aware of some additional timelines that needed to be met in order to get us to that April 30th disbursement date. Yeah. yeah thank you. Uh, open up to the public for any comment. Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the council. Um, do I have a motion? Motion approved. Have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes. Thank you very much for the presentation, and uh, thank you, sir, for the work that you're doing in our community. With that, we'll move on to item B. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. This item is uh, following up on a request from the council fairly recently um, to have a presentation from the police department um, in regards to their youth services department and uh, the work that they provide to our community. So I think uh, Paula LeDoux and her team are coming up to give you that presentation on all the amazing work that they do for our community. So with that, I'll turn it over to Paula. Uh, good evening, Mayor um, and Council Members. I did bring my team as promised last time I was here and they're going to assist in the presentation. Just to introduce them briefly, um, first we have Danielle Sanchez. She's going to start out with an overview of the youth services section. She's a licensed clinician, so she'll be um, talking about our clinical component of the programming. And that will be followed up with Andrea Gonzalez, who is a program coordinator with our youth development programming. And she's going to update you on those programs specifically, we did receive some additional funding, and so we'd really like to um, talk about that with you and give you that update. Thank you. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Danielle Sanchez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a board-certified behavior analyst. I am one of two mental health coordinators with the youth services section. Right. Uh, so our youth services section, or YSS, have counseling spaces in each one of these schools, as you see here. Uh, it does say Country High, but that is Sway, or Shireen uh, Wilkerson, and our Pell office is located on that campus as well. Our mission statement, as members of the Vacaville Police Department's youth services section, we challenge the barriers of traditional policing. We accomplish this by engaging our youth and their families with growth opportunities through enforcement, intervention, and education. The vision of youth services is to promote self-esteem and accountability, ensuring a successful future for our youth. So our goal is to help youth and their families find healthy solutions to the problems they're facing. These problems may result or have resulted in delinquent behavior. We place emphasis on prevention and redirection of delinquency. We also believe that the family unit is the single most important resource in our determination to help our youth. Our YSS division is comprised of one sergeant, four school resource officers or SROs, two licensed mental health coordinators, 
a family support worker, an office assistant, a youth development manager, senior youth program coordinator, two youth program coordinators, three PAL intern uh, positions, two are currently vacant, and 12 mental health counseling interns. So as you can see here, our clinical diversion enforcement and youth development services, which I'm soon to describe, tightly overlap. So this diagram accurately reflects the interconnectedness that we pride ourselves on as our families feel buoyed by the multi-layered support. Our school resource officers perform the typical enforcement duties of any patrol officer, but with a twist, it is solely youth-focused. From proactively addressing youth-related criminal activity on campus and within the community to supporting youth in various capacities, counselor, friend, even father figure, and SRO does it all. They also provide public information and education on youth-related issues. The clinical side of YSS entails our counseling services. We recruit, screen, and train college-level interns to provide individual and family counseling, crisis management, and substance abuse interventions. Our interns and mental health coordinators also serve as liaisons between community agencies and schools. So we also offer Teen Intervene, which is a low-level substance abuse group for teens. Uh, we have our intern counseling program alongside BUSD. Uh, our interns are the ones providing the services in the previous slide alongside with anger management. We offer Parent Project, which is our parent support group. We also offer gang intervention and prevention education and diversion, which I will review shortly. All right, so let's talk about numbers. So to preface, our interns typically see about four to five students within their day for about six weeks, six to eight weeks, excuse me. And some interns are here multiple days a week, but for the most part, they're only here once a week. So over the course of the year, we performed 1,284 counseling services at 18 different schools here in the district to 243 unduplicated students. Predominantly, we, perform, we performed individual counseling sessions, totaling 1,161, with 101 family sessions and 22 group sessions. As you can see, the far right chart reflects the amount of students we serviced at each of our schools. It's no surprise that our high school and middle schools have uh, the highest numbers, as well as Callison and Browns Valley had some, I'm sorry, uh, Cooper and Browns Valley had some high numbers as well, but we did have multiple interns at those sites and they were able to see more students. Uh, so this slide here reflects the concerns our students are experiencing. So when our interns input their notes, they do have to select the appropriate therapeutic concern that was brought up in the session. Um, and often there were multiple concerns that were discussed again in the session. So the pie chart reflects a, a more visual representation of the numbers with anxiety and family conflict as our biggest concerns. Right, our diversion program. Uh, our diversion program reflects our goal of redirecting delinquent behavior. So clients referred to this program are typically first offenders. Uh, they are, excuse me, they are required to do any of the following. Community service, writing a letter of apology, uh, an essay about how their activity affected them and their families. Last year, there were 111 citations. Actually, there were arrests, but they do call them citations just to be a little bit nicer. Uh, with 68 being sent to our diversion worker, and I must state that she is only one person handling 68 cases in the entirety of the year with only 43 of those cases being sent to probation. 
So again, the goal is to redirect such clients away from probation, redirect and prevent. So 53 of those uh, cases being sent to diversion uh, were closed successfully, which means that the clients uh, completed, I'm sorry, they had met the agreed upon expectations with a mere 9% being sent to probation or not completing their cases successfully. Uh, the other 7% were clients who were cited or arrested again while on diversion, but out of the goodness of Lucia's heart uh, and her wise judgment, she decided to keep them on her caseload. All right, now I'll pass it over to Andrea. Good evening, everyone. My name is Andrea Gonzalez. I am the Senior Program Coordinator for our Police Department for our Youth Development Programs. Uh, so starting off for background, I just wanted to mention that currently our youth development staff shares an office at the Shereen Wilkerson um, Academy of Excellence, otherwise known as Sway. Uh, so they've been gracious enough to allow us um, to share their office space. Uh, so that's currently where we're located. Um, so at Sway, we do conduct our program development coordination and logistics, uh, while the majority of the actual activities are held at Vacapena Middle School. So as noted on the screen, I just wanted to briefly touch on our current programs. So our PAL programs are open year round uh, for students who live in Vacaville or are enrolled in Vacaville Unified School District schools um, and are between the ages of seven and 18. The current goal of our pouch chapter is to foster positive relationships between our officers and the youth uh, through enriching activities. In addition to this, what is special about our PAL chapter is that we heavily focus on leadership skills, service learning, and building the confidence and potential that we know that they all have. Next up, we have Summer at City Hall. Sorry, actually, I meant to say, <laughs> thank you. Um, so for Summer at City Hall, um, that is our four-week program that we partner with the Vacaville Unified School District, the Travis Unified School District, and the City of Vacaville. So the mission of Summer at City Hall uh, is to simulate the experience of what it would be like to apply for employment. So youth do go through the um, motions of applying, interviewing, and attending a mandatory orientation. So once they know that they've been accepted, they do attend an orientation and um, just kind of we lay down um, the rules and expectations of what their next four weeks will look like. So during the four weeks, um, the program exposes youth to civic engagement, local government, uh, resource identification, um, career interest and, and an internship component uh, with various City of Vacaville departments. Uh, upon completion to the program, um, the kids do receive a $500 stipend, a Chromebook, and five units of elective credit. As far as Junior Giants goes, um, Junior Giants is brought to us by the San Francisco Giants Community Fund and allows us to provide eight weeks of free non-competitive baseball and softball programs, um, both co-ed. Uh, for kids ages seven to 13. Um, and my, I wanted to add for that program, um, it's been a very interest, interesting to see how much we have grown um, from post COVID. I believe 2021 was the year that we started off with about 50 kids. Last year we had around 75 and our goal for this year is to be able to provide services to at least 120 students for junior giants. Um, so we've had a tremendous um, um, growth with that and we're really excited all of our families always um, tell us how much they love it and are excited to you know do it again for the next summer um, so as far as data goes um, 
just wanted to show you guys a little bit of demo demographic background. Um, but in the year 2023, we did serve 269 unduplicated youth uh, through our youth development programs. Um, and our youth development staff hosted 137 events, uh, which included PAL teens, PAL kids, special events, field trips, uh, conferences, summer at City Hall, and Junior Giants. Um, so if you wanted to take a look, um, there's some of the data give you guys a second to look through that and we will move um, forward to what we want to bring back. Awesome. Okay, so these are the programs that we are looking to bringing back. So we're currently phasing in the programs that were inactive due to staffing. Uh, so thanks to all of you and the city of Vacaville, we now have um, a full team of one youth development manager, one senior program coordinator, two pro program coordinator ones, and two interns. So with that being said, the youth development team is in the planning and implementation implementation phase of restoring the following programs. So we'll start off with Vacaville Aware. Um, so our Aware Coalition um, is a coalition that was created to bring awareness to the dangers of youth alcohol, uh, tobacco, and other drug use. Uh, so the coalition offers teens an opportunity to be engaged in leadership activities and community change. So we're actually currently working with the Vacaville Unified School District admin uh, to learn their needs of uh, what's going on in the schools related to uh, the use of drugs and alcohol. And our plan is to be able to bring some sort of curriculum to the students um, when it comes to the use of drugs and alcohol. We do have teen and intervene and other things, but they're kind of looking um, into the students who are unfortunately um, kind of into some other drugs that are a little more intense. Um, so we're currently looking into to doing something a little more again, intense. So um, that's in the works right now. Um, and as far as the Vacaville Reach Youth Coalition, um, that one actually stemmed from the Vacaville Youth Roundtable. So the goal of Reach is to promote the physical, emotional, and uh, social well-being of all of the youth um, to advocate for policies and system changes for all of them to succeed. So we've we strive to increase youth safety in the community and connect youth to our existing resources. Um, so activities that Reach will bring back are um, uh, the Youth Summit that we hosted in the past and then we're also looking forward to bringing um, the night out on Rocky Hill Trail in case you guys hadn't attended that in the past um, we set up a whole lot of community booths um, of different organizations um, companies and we kind of just host a night for them to be able to explore all the resources that they have so uh, we're really looking forward to moving forward to all of that um, but that's it for now so thank you so much for your attention and I actually did wanted to ask you guys if it was okay we do have a student who wants to talk really quick so if it's okay with you all absolutely <laughs> thank you so much I see them in the row and <laughs> eagerly wanting to come forward. And so come up to the microphone and uh, good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Angelica Marina. I'm 16 years old. I attend Vacaville High School. And uh, today I want to share my experience with PAL. Um, I started in PAL Teens uh, the start of freshman year. Uh, I got referred into the PAL program for uh, diversion hours, community service hours. After I completed my hours, I stayed in the program because I truly found my why. I truly enjoyed being part of the program because I met many, I got many opportunities that benefited me in many ways. And 
that I'm very grateful and I don't take for granted. Pal has helped me become a leader in my community and for those around me. Through Pal, I've been able to share my story. And with that, I've been able to inspire kids my age and future generations. Due to Pal, I've been able to attend California slash National Pal leadership conferences and trips, one of those being Washington, D.C., that we attended this past June. During this trip, I had the opportunity to meet one of the California U.S. representatives, Mike Thompson. Uh, furthermore, I have accomplished many things, one of those being Vacaville Police Cadet. Uh, two years ago, uh, I recently got promoted to um, field training officer, where I train and oversee a group of cadets. Um, PAL is truly a program with big opportunities for us youth. Um, thank you for your time and for your support. Thank you so much. Thank you for the presentation and your story and sharing your why. It really is um, a wonderful thing that we have here. I've had the privilege to see it all my years, and many people don't realize that our community is blessed to have a program that has been a model to other cities around the country and been nationally recognized for the work that you do. And the stories that get told, there's so many more like it, but um, you just never know what is in front of your life. And the concept of having a program for youth in diversion, we know that there's, there's you know, probation and there's diversion probation, but the goal really is, is before it could ever even been um, understood in modern understanding of restorative justice truly was the restoration. And in all my years to know that that program has existed here, is it's something to say that we've, we um, are blessed to have all of you. Um, I will ask a question, um, how many, how many uh, higher education colleges and universities are under contract with the city of Vacaville to provide the hours of certification. We are a training city. That's what we do. That's a unique thing that people don't understand. I used to sign those contracts. And so, do you know? There you um, go, that mic's on we, too. We, we, oh, it is on, sorry. Uh, so it fluctuates depending on the year. We have, they are three-year contracts and so, um, they come and go. Right now, we have eight different universities that we're, but, um, you know, and then for a while, it, it might expire, and then we don't get a student again for a few more years, and then we just re-up it. Um, but it fluctuates, but it's quite a few. But um, fun fact, Miss um, Danielle here actually interned with us. What year? Like, oh, gosh, 20. Yeah, so a decade ago. More than a decade ago, and here she is now. So. <laughs> it's really exciting because some, some of the programs, it could be somewhere at City Hall. You inspire the youth to somehow go into local government or to activate the youth to be part of the coalitions that actually forms some of the policies and go talk to elected officials. I've, we've seen it. it is, uh, it's such a neat thing to see in our community. I'm so thankful that it continues to this day in providing future employees, not only in other cities who model after us, 
but even our own. So it's nice to see that, that the, the, the product of the program actually benefits our community as well. So um, I'm going to open it up. Um, well, Councilmember Silva. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming out. I've been looking forward to uh, this presentation for a while just to uh, better understand uh, where the where the data is at, where the needs are at. Um, you know, a lot of times when you see numbers, it doesn't tell a story. You know, when you say a thousand visits, a hundred visits. Um, so, uh, with respect to mental health, I've heard different things through the years. You know, when so you you, you provided a slide. I think it was slide eleven, breakdown of mental health issues. Uh, maybe, if, if possible, reference that. Uh, can you elaborate more about the time commitment it would take for individual like? How much time is dedicated to each individual uh, child that might fit behind uh, some of these topics, uh, particularly around like suicide, substance abuse, and so forth? Um, so our interns usually, they typically spend about 50 to 60 minutes with our students each day that they meet with them. Um, and so it, again, our, our services are meant to be short-term. So again, 68 weeks. If we do find a student that's constantly reflected in these numbers of they have a lot more suicidal assessments that we're providing or they're engaging in a lot more self-harm, then we do have to refer onwards because again, like uh, you know, Mayor Carly said that this is a training grounds for our interns. And so that they are getting that experience, but because most of them are quite green, if there is a student who again is displaying a lot more of uh, severe mental health, then we do have to refer them onwards. Is that, does that quite answer your question? So where's where's onwards? So we can infer them to uh, their insurance um, to get services that way. We do have a couple of other agencies that I've kind of started to see within the community. Um, I know Youth Rising has some support systems for students who might need more uh, intense uh, mental health services. We also partner with Care Solace, which is a third-party service that the Vacaville School District uses to assist families in getting connected with someone within their insurance network. Yeah, so I... Oh. Most of the families, honestly, either have Kaiser private insurance or county mental health. Most of the students that um, wouldn't have private insurance are covered by county mental health. And so if it is a severe mental health issue, that would be the referral. And if parents need support in accessing those resources and they're not sure how to, we can assist with that also. And we do, because we also have the Family Resource Center. So we'll cross-refer. And then mm -hmm. for the, you know, if, if our students' families need intensive case management, then that gets cross-referred to the Family Resource Center. And our family support workers will spend up to a year working with the family, making sure that all of the needs of the family are met. And if, you know, obtaining health insurance is part of that, you know, we can help them with the exchange, you know, getting access to health insurance um, that's available to everybody or accessing county mental health. Yeah, and so like in my personal experience with access, so you have um, access, sorry, you have access to healthcare. So yes. insurance al mm -hmm. allows for that. Mm -hmm. um, but then being able to actually truly access it. So what I just referred to is the quality of, of care that people mm -hmm. are actually truly able to access. I think uh, for adults wise, I, I hear a lot of concerns about that um, from, and it's not just any one health provider, it's across the board. Yeah, there's a, uh, currently a shortage of mental right. health providers nationwide. Mm -hmm. So that is definitely an issue. So, um, so what, is our, what do our kids lay, lay in that? Well, that's why it's so wonderful that we have this program and we have the interns that can provide these services. So they're getting at least the bare minimum, which is that. And we have, I mean, it is case by case in terms of referring them on if they don't have resources. We would never 
um, we would never just not provide services when there wasn't a warm handoff to you know at something that was accessible. We wouldn't just stop seeing them because oh this is so you know with the support of the clinical supervisors, mm -hmm. the interns would continue to work with them. Mm -hmm. We meet with them weekly for individual and group supervision and and clinical supervisors are constantly available, so they have a lot of supervision. Um, and so if that needs to happen so that they're not left with no services whatsoever, that happens. And, and then uh, do, do, uh, does your staff follow up on them to make sure they don't like quote unquote fall through the cracks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and have, we work closely with the mental health clinicians that are school district employees. Mm -hmm. And the school mental health clinicians typically see the more seriously mentally ill students and they, they're licensed. And so they have those on the caseload, but, mm -hmm. but our staff meets mm -hmm. regularly with the uh, lead staff over there and they, they work together. So it's a good partnership. Thank you. Um, I got a few more, several more questions. Um, so uh, within the programs, just, uh, uh, you know, I don't expect you guys to know that, but I'm just kind of curious to see how many, uh, the demographics, how many students or how many folks are actually involved in those different programs. Uh, so at some point, you know, uh, someone could forward me that or us uh, that information. Uh, I'm curious to know that. Um, can you, I'm sorry, can you clarify specifically so who's involved, who's, who, demographics of who's receiving mental health counseling? No, or? I'm sorry. So oh. um, moving on to like the programs, uh, there was like, uh, I forget what slide it was, but there is. Oh, your youth uh, development program. Yeah, oh, for, yeah this one. Oh. So like, I'm curious to see how many actually attend uh, each one of those different programs. Oh, okay. Like we can get the, that for you. What's the attendance? Yeah. Okay, we can. Um, and then what? Um, just generally asking, what what value would what value does uh, the, do these programs? Why is it more valuable to have this under uh, the city purview, uh, particularly under police department purview, over uh, ha possibly having or you know, referring to a third party? What What do you? I think, um, personally, I think being under the police department provides a lot of avenues, uh, specifically for Powell, just because we do have, like, that closer, um, I guess, attachment to the officers or a little more easily accessible. We're able to spend more time with them and kind of build a rapport to see, like, what it is that they enjoy or kind of just gauge their interest to be able to provide programming that kind of works for everybody. And also just getting to know those who, who maybe have more time. You know, unfortunately, I know everybody has families, kids, and they're busy. So I just think that being able to be under the police department umbrella works a lot better with the aspect of being able to engage our officers. Um, but as far as that goes, um, we've actually been able to be a part of like national and um, California conferences that have to do with the same thing. Um, and those that are under a different umbrella of like non-city of like city sanctioned um, departments struggle a lot more because it's harder for them to access resources that we have that they probably don't. So I think um, being under city helps a lot because there's just so many things that we can share between each other. A uh, perfect example is being able to share, for example, like parks and rec, um, like the parks or community um, um, the community, um, like Eladis, you know, McBride. So yeah, so using the centers, um, being having that close relationship with the districts is also great because that's where we're hosting our programs. Um, and just having, um, build, trying to build that rapport with others is like 
the perfect thing because I'll give you an example. Like last week, uh, Vacaville Unified School District admin invited me to a very personal meeting about a certain family who unfortunately their kids were not showing up to school for like weeks on end. And they kind of reeled me in to be able to kind of talk to that family. Um, and we went and talked to that family, got them in PAL. And the next day, like they showed up to school and they hadn't been to school in like weeks. And then that day I took their kids to program. So I think it's just being able to be so close to everybody else is what's super helpful. So I hope that answers your question. No, no, sorry. I wasn't, I realized I probably can be interpreted like, uh, I don't want it under. No, 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 <laughs> I didn't think it like that, so uh, yeah. Sorry, no, I just wanted to add on that, another example of that of where we all work together and we're all part of the police department, but different units within the department is that we have a, a clinical clinical mental health intern that's assigned just a pal and works with those families and those students for mental health also. So I don't, you know, I, I doubt other pal programs that are run just through the nonprofit would have that type of access mm -hmm. with case management and then also the family resource center. Um, you know, we are constantly meeting We're and talking with that. each other. So the family gets mm -hmm. full wraparound services. They might, we might, you know, they know because they're involved in pal and then we can be help with you know, if they need rental assistance or any other type of basic needs assistance. So what, so along those lines, what, where do you see the biggest needs of youth and or their families? Housing. Affordable. And what's specific about housing? Affordable housing. Yeah. People are just priced out of, I mean, even middle, middle class families are getting priced out. Two bedroom apartments are twice as much as the mortgage. Yeah. Three thousand, three grand a month. Um, it's uh, everybody's struggling with that. Um, and so kind of along uh, this, uh, both lines, I'm, I'm, maybe if one of the uh, youth uh, feel comfortable, which I know they do because they're pretty strong individuals I've observed through the years. Uh, I've, I haven't seen any program be able to tap in and build trust with uh, particularly so many teens um, and, that, and, and not in sports. And, um, you know, just, told us not to get too far off track, but like, you know, there's, there's a story that came out about how 70% of youth drop out of youth sports by the age of 13. Uh, and those who drop out have higher incidences of uh, depression, suicidation, more delinquency and, and whatnot. And so finding a, a place of sense of belonging and purpose, I think is, um, is really key. Uh, so um, obviously, you know, I've, and I've seen, you know, anytime there's a community event, um, y'all, y'all show up. Right, um, y'all show up. Y'all put out work, and one of y'all in particular know how to keep everybody in line. Uh, I'm extremely impressed. I'm like, wow, you're a teenager. Like, you should be, should be running this city. <clears throat> so, uh, I'm curious to know uh, if anybody feels comfortable sharing. Like, what is it? What is it? What's the it um, that allows uh, so many teens, so many youth, to feel comfortable um, in this environment? Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. And you can speak for yourself or maybe what you feel for others. So my name is Luis, and could you repeat that for me one more time? What, why do you think so many uh, youth are interested in, uh, so I know you guys are part of PAL, why are many so interested in PAL? So PAL is very like friendly. Like when I first joined, I was like, I guess scared because my parents like made me do it. But I met, Andrea was one of the first ones I met, and she was, like, really, really nice. And she, like, made me go out there, um, engage in the activities, go to the community events. And I slowly, but surely, I really enjoyed it and made it. 
made me made a fun. Thank you. Um, I'm Angelie. Um, I think Powell has really like helped me out with just being able to be more confident in myself or, you know, going into the right direction. Um, you know, all the officers come out and go on trips with us and it just, with them, it's like a whole different like side, you know, they're in their uniform. We see them a different way, but when we go on trips with them, it's like, you know, they're human and all. Um, we definitely build relationships with them and we, we're able to to talk with them if we have a problem or whatever it is. But um, Pals really helped me just be able to focus on school, focus on like my future, what I want to do. Um, you know, it's just a really great program that, you know, later kids are able to see and experience, you know, meeting new people, you know, public speaking, just being confident in general. But it's honestly, you know, all the coordinators are really hardworking and, you know, with their time and effort into the pro into the PAL program has really, um, you know, made us like the program even more just because, you know, everyone around us is, you know, a big mentor to all of us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, both of you. It means a lot and it's very personal and it's very helpful too. So two more, two more pieces, and I'm I'm done, done. Uh, you sure? I'm very sure. Um, <laughs> maybe sure. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of lights on. Uh, so just last thing, or last two two items. Uh, what is? Uh, do you guys have a wait list, or are you able to meet the needs? So I hear that you have a shared office space with another facility, and then uh, from my recollection, there's still a dedicated portal, uh, portable, excuse me, at uh, Vacapena that you that you all mentioned. Um, is that space adequate? So um, unfortunately, it is not. Um, we are growing at a rapid rate. Um, so there's a lot of pros and cons to that. Obviously, um, it shows that every it's working, right? Um, that even amongst their kids, the kids are talking about it. Um, like we even have a kid who's eventually can become a recruiter. Like every other day, he's like, I have another kid. I have another kid. And I'm just like, ah, like, um, so it's a little overwhelming um, in a good way because there's so many people, but we have had to um, cap our meetings. So for example, tomorrow we have a Palatines meeting. Um, and we have 40 kids who signed up and I cannot allow any more because we don't have the space. So we have had to cap um, pretty much each meeting and it, in, it also um, includes our PAL kids, which is the ages for seven to 11 and then PAL teens is 12 to 18. And for each meeting, we do have to cap them out. Um, for the PAL kids, we do use a smaller room. Um, so we usually have to cap at 34 when usually we have about, we now have about 80 parents on a group chat who are interested in joining, but unfortunately we cannot have them all come at once because we don't have the space. So kind of, in, um, so I, I get all that, I, you know, I've seen it. Um, so what I'd like for council to consider, and this will be my last comment here, um, during our next study session, I'd like to see if we can get some council support um, to have a discussion as a council along with staff to see if we should uh, pursue additional uh, options um, to find dedicated space uh, for the services they provide. So that's it. Thank you. Councilmember Wiley. Thank you for the information. And I have a few questions. If you will go back to slide 10, 
Um, I just, on the slide that says individual counseling, like 1,161, is that, uh, like, do you count each one for one person or are those like repeat for a lot of people? And you said they were like six to eight weeks or whatever. So like how many students or people so does, does that mean? 243 students. Okay. That's unduplicated. And then they, the 243 students had a total of okay. 1,284. Okay. Sessions. Thank you. I yeah. should have figured that out myself, yeah, but okay. thank you for clarifying that. And then I was going to ask about tobacco use, but then you said in that one slide, that's a program you're going to reinstitute. So it's currently not going on, but you are going to begin it again, but uh, then focus on stronger things than just alcohol and drugs. Correct. But it often starts with alcohol and yeah. And although in tobacco, our so. um, the group that we currently do, the clinical group that we do, we do also talk about vaping okay. and tobacco. Okay. Okay. Because I know that's a big thing. The other thing you kept seeing back of you know via. VUSD, VOSD, is there a cost sharing? Do they, besides, so what is the cost sharing with Vacaville High? The number? You want the actual? I mean, I mean do, like, do they do 40%, 20%, 10%? Uh, no, it's, it's just an amount. Okay, and, and so like students are people who are not a student at VUSD, they're not eligible. So are, do we have people that we're not serving because they're not VUSD students? Uh, Travis Unified School District students would not be. And there are some residents of Vacaville that are Travis. And they're not being served. Correct. Because or we, if we you're homeschooling or if you're, you know, so, so you well, have if they're to... homeschooled through our district, they can still get services. They just have to come to one of our offices. Okay. Yeah. But we don't have a contract. We have a contract with Vacaville Unified. With Vacaville. Correct. Okay. And then just, you know, I really appreciate all the people that were here speaking and their involvement. And they helped in our last uh, spruce up last year at District 6, and they were excellent help and wonderful attitude and working. So that was great. Do most of the people that are pal, pal kids go on to be pal teens, or do you lose some in between? Most of them will stay. So, for example, uh, Luis started off as a Pell kid. He is now Pell teen, and he's remained with us. Um, very little will fall off. Um, usually, the ones who do fall off are the ones who are heavily involved in other sports that take up a lot more of their time. Uh, but for the most part, we do see um, them continuing to continuously stay through their high school graduation. And because you work with families, do you generally have, like, siblings? Yes. So he's a perfect example. Luis has two younger siblings. And since one of them, I think from before he was eligible at seven years old, he was waiting and waiting to join. And then now he's in and he's soon going to be transferring to Peltine. So, okay. yeah. all right. Thank you very much. Councilmember Chow. Thank you. Um, for the summer at, at City Hall and the junior um, Thanks. Giants, yes. The application process, when does it begin? When does it open and when does it end? How, are, uh, how do you market? Is it strictly through the school district? Um, so for Summer at City Hall, I'm trying to, off the top of my head, so I apologize if it's um, not correct right now, and we can definitely get that to you. Um, but I believe um, we open it about two and a half months before, at least two months before. Um, so we do give them enough time. I think this last year we probably did a little bit less, but at least a month um, they will have to apply. Um, and what we do is we post all over all social media, and then we do um, disseminate the information to the Vacaville Unified School District schools um, and really any other um, 
you know, agent that we may have from other organizations. And for that one, we do um, accept Travis Unified School District students because we incorporated the Travis Unified School District admin. So we do um, offer a couple of positions for their students as well. And then as far as, I'm so sorry, if you could repeat your question about Junior the Giants. Junior Giants yeah. and the summer at City Hall. Those were the two, um, the application process um, timeframe for them. And then um, employment. I didn't hear anything about aiding or assisting the youth uh, with employment. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some youth I've, I speak, talk to, communicate with in the community, and that's something that they want. They and it's difficult for them to obtain jobs. Yeah. Um, do we have a link through PAL and the business community? Um, mm -hmm. Not currently, unfortunately, but that's definitely something that could fall under the umbrella of reach because that's the one that we're trying to give them access to resources and being able to help them um, in that process. Um, I can tell you that at Summer at City Hall, they do go over like an extensive amount of time, like to being able to do resumes and how to apply, where to look. Um, but we know that's not enough. So that could definitely be something that we can take note of um, for our reach programs. And then I'm sorry, I actually didn't answer your question about Junior Giants. I apologize. So for Junior Giants, um, the app, uh, Registration opens in April, so it's like going to be opening up pretty soon, and we do give them enough time because that starts in June, so that's plenty of time for them to apply. Um, currently, we are only offering it to Vacaville um, residents, but last year we did open it up to Fairfield and Vallejo. Do you have a cap? Yes, uh, this year it's going to be 120 uh, because we only use one field. Unfortunately, we're still only able to host Junior Giants for one day a week. Um, Junior Giants has expressed their interest in us being able to host it three days a week. Um, but unfortunately, it's not doable for us at the moment. Um, so we do only host it one day. Uh, I think last year we did it for two hours. Um, so we do have to max it at 120 students for this year, just because we have one park and have to share three fields. Is that because you don't have enough um, uh, enough volunteers or? Two things. So mainly because unfortunately we do not have enough volunteers and enough staffing to be able to supervise um, each practice. And because um, we, we probably haven't asked enough, but we have kind of struggled with being able to get more than one park. So we've, we're situated at one park, but because I think there's other contracts with other parks, we kind of get what is available, if that makes sense. But they're also really good in working with us and being able to allow us to use the park. So does that make sense? Just, I think, um, conflicts with other sports that are going on in the city and then volunteers. And my final question or comment, I'm happy to hear the work you're doing at Back of Pena. Um, they definitely need it, as yeah. you've learned. You've mm -hmm. outgrown the space they've um, provided to you. And hopefully we'll be able to work something out because all the all the young people need it. They yes. definitely need we it. We agree. It's worth it. So, much. so thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you guys for allowing us. And I appreciate um, I appreciate questions up here and the reason is is because I I can understand this because I lived it for three decades but there's a lot of understanding to know why is it where and so I don't I don't take offense to a good question because because I'm sitting there going like yes please tell the why because there was a period of time when when pal was not in the police department the difference is is it was in parks and rec 
The reality is, is it had limiting factors of how to connect with the resources. It's at risk based versus, you know, program subscription to a, uh, a sport based. It, it overlaps and I'm glad to see it being successful. And I always knew that that's where it needed to be. Requires access to all the different departments, and I'm glad that it's thriving. It does beg the question that I'll ask that you're probably thinking is um, Councilmember uh, Wiley did bring up the point that it is not within the Travis Unified School District, which is part of our city. So it's a good question. Why? Why doesn't it serve Vacaville residents? I know that they have, have their own programs, but Hmm. How, you know, well, what's the Pal, Pal does, right. the students Pal from is. Travis Campus, is the clinical counseling okay. is the one that doesn't. And that's just because we don't have a contract with, with Travis Unified. We only have a contract with Vacaville Unified. Is, is there a possibility of exploring to expand the resources so that it's not a limiting factor just because you live, you know, in Southtown? Or yeah, we, we used to, um, that we had a higher number of, of mental health coordinators, clinicians. Mm -hmm. And so... When someone retired, they weren't replaced. We have a, you know, we'd have to hire new staff. You'd have to hire another mental health coordinator to do that. It seems like we're leaving a piece of the city out. Yeah. And so maybe that's something to consider, not just space, but if for the resources for the community, where are we lacking? And maybe that's an area that we can consider. So. They're being uh, served by fair fuel system may, PD. I they may be, they, but, uh, but I know from, oh, a, I understand. Okay. from a youth services standpoint, it becomes very strange. I know how case management gets kicked to Fairfield, and yet you live in Vacaville, and a school is in Vacaville, and mm -hmm. a lot of this doesn't make sense. It's just because we have the overlapping right. districts. It's, right. None of it, have, it never made sense to me, but it is what it is. I just would like to make sure that we have the resources oh, here. Yeah. I, I hear you. I'm going to open up to the, the public. Anyone wishing to, to comment on this item? Of course not. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, a few years ago, I started coming to city council meetings because I was concerned about allowing the police department to do their, their job correctly without improper restrictions, et cetera, because we have an outstanding police department. It was one of the first things when I lateraled from Placer County, the Auburn area down here. Uh, one comment, and I know you weren't trying to take it out of it, but it's usually the first responder, EMS or police, who make that first contact with a child in crisis. And so the fact that Vacaville Police Department, with the support of the council, has developed such a program, it, it's it's like nothing I've seen, and my stepbrother retired a cop, et cetera. But I'll harken back to an experience and why, the, why I think this is not just unique, but extremely, it's critical. It should be part of every police agency. It was 1977, I was a patrolman in a small town. My sergeant showed up, I was on day shift, and he said, we have to go investigate. And what it was was a sexual assault on a four-year-old. Now, we couldn't make the case. We were very certain of it. The DA wouldn't take it. But you know, I had nothing I could offer that kid and, and the mother, but you do. Now, granted, in 1977, things were different. But this is the kind of thing that uh, touches my heart. and I'm so glad that you do it. Thank you. 
no one else, I'm going to bring it back to the council. Councilmember Sill. Uh, just a quick request. I don't know when would be appropriate time, but uh, I would like to learn more and see more about the diversion program, um, specifically how uh, youth can get involved in it. Uh, we've seen different uptake of different issues, particularly since COVID and kids trying to find different ways to stay busy and uh, literally the destruction of our community. I don't want that. Um, a lot of folks my age don't want to see kids continue that pathway. Um, and I'm very open to seeing how we can uh, redivert their energy. Um, but it is kind of hard to compete with uh, the other conflicting uh, interest that's going on and uh, preying on our kids. So um, I would like to learn more about that. And um, uh, just from that perspective, I will say that uh, the CMF, they have the uh, uh, pop. pop. Yeah, they have pop. Um, so they're, they're routinely like every one, one to two times a month, they're bringing out six or seven kids uh, just for the public. It's not a scared straight program. It's something where the, the kids get in, they get a chance to know um, and realize the consequences to their actions and uh, hopefully um, encourage them to make uh, more, uh, better decisions on their behalf and the others that their decisions impact. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Councilmember Stockton. I had more of just a comment. I just wanted to thank you ladies um, for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm a huge advocate for breaking barriers for mental health and having access to resources that can change the lives of kids and families moving forward. Um, so thank you for helping break that stigma. Thank you for helping establish relationships with kids and families and encouraging them to work with our police department so that we can better protect and serve our community. I just don't think you probably get told that enough. Maybe you do, but I wanted you to know that you're very, very appreciated because it is a very difficult job. Um, you touched on the fact that it's a, the, the resources for mental health are, are desperately needy, needed. But I also feel like what you're doing right now in the lives of kids is inspiring the next generation to kind of fill some of those roles in, in addition to the law enforcement roles. So, so um, I wanted to thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to offer a shameless plug for anybody that wants to support PAL. Um, they're having a crab feed on March 9th. Put that in your calendars, March 9th. Incredible organization that's making a huge impact on the lives of kids, families, and just our community in general, because our kids are the future of our community. So thank you for what you're doing, for working with our police department. I spent a, a, a very happy portion of my career in youth services. And so to see that this is available in Vacaville, um, and it was has not been at some of the other agencies that I've worked with, really does make me feel good. Like, And I think that that was mentioned before, um, to know that you have that help to offer when other things um, kind of fall short or don't provide those opportunities. So, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank yes. you for your support. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you for, for taking the time to inform us and the, and the community of, of all that you do. So really appreciate it and, and looking forward to, to hearing more because this helps inform the council when, it's, when, in, when there are policy decisions to be made. So I appreciate it. And thank you, you all, for supporting and for your your authentic words. Uh, the stories actually are very meaningful. All right, Mr. City Manager, um, I see that we're at uh, reports of the City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. The only thing that I wanted to give the council a quick update on is is that um, 
the application period for uh, vacancies on our Planning Commission and Parks and Recreation Commission has closed. We ended up receiving app 10 applications for the Parks and Rec Commission and seven applications for the Planning Commission. Um, staff is putting together that information and we'll get that to the council this week so that you can begin your uh, review of those applications and then uh, we will likely bring that uh, item for the council's discussion and appointments at your second meeting in February. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, uh, reports of the city council. Councilmember Stockton. Just a couple things. Um, I know that Mrs. Dunn briefly mentioned um, that the county um, uh, unanimously approved a moratorium to give them more time to address energy storage or battery storage facilities in the county. Uh, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with, with council. I'm curious, city manager, could you let us all know when we might expect to have that conversation? So we're still exploring some of the details uh, about that particular request, but our goal is to bring that back to you either the second meeting in February or potentially March. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, the next question I had, and I don't know if this is for the police department or for you, city manager, is if there's been any update on the warming center. Only that it's working uh, well and that, um, you know, we're using triggers that the council established. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since it's last been open, um, thankfully, um, because the weather has, you know, not been as extreme. Um, and But everything that I've been told and, and observed is, is that um, we are very actively engaged and working collaboratively with our partners in the faith-based community, as well as um, the attendant who is there um, watching, you know, during the, the entirety of time. Um, and our crew unit is actively out there, you know, making sure that it's not becoming a, a disturbance uh, to the neighbors. And our public works uh, department is actively out there cleaning things up and keeping things in order. Um, and so um, everything that I've seen and observed has been quite positive to this point. Okay. And my other question is, uh, I know that the warming center is an additional alternative that we have for when it qualifies for the inclement weather. But do we still have openings at the, some of the hotels in town that we partner with, as well as with um, Shelter Inc., so that that way, even if it doesn't meet that criteria, we still have space to help folks so that they're not, you know, just out in the elements, even if it doesn't meet that criteria? Yeah, those options are still currently available, and those are for folks that are seeking, you know, uh, different kinds of options available to them. But, yeah, we still have availability. Um, and then my, my last thing that I wanted to briefly go over, um, I'm seeing on social media, media uh, a lot of stuff revolving around fentanyl and drug use and fentanyl right now. And I was so glad to hear in the last presentation them talk about Teen Intervene. They talked about um, AWARE and some of the different things that we're doing for our youth. I'm just curious, what is our police department um, doing regarding fentanyl and not only with our youth, but also in their response um, out in the community to educate folks, to let them know? Because it seems like this is an issue that has gone beyond all socioeconomic statuses, all races. I mean, everybody from the most wealthiest folks to our homeless population and everything in between. So I'm just curious because I'm seeing a lot of that online. Do we have a plan? Do we have training available related to fentanyl use? 
Good evening, Chief. Good evening, Mayor Carley, Vice Mayor Ritchie, and, and members of the City Council. Uh, to generally answer your question uh, is a big yes. Um, fentanyl, frankly, is, is terrifying. Uh, I, I recall uh, a long, long time ago when I worked in narcotics in about 2005, we didn't know, nobody knew what fentanyl was, and I was involved in an investigation actually at um, a pharmaceutical uh, location. And the, the person that was taking the fentanyl actually closed a plastic bag that contained fentanyl and just the microscopic amount of fentanyl that went into the air that he breathed in automatically put him in respiratory arrest. I mean, dropped him. And so thankfully somebody came along, but that was 2005 ish. And for 10 plus years, nobody ever knew heard about fentanyl or what it was. And then all of a sudden it's hit the scene in a way that uh, I don't think any, any of us expected, especially in law enforcement. Um, so we, we do have all of our officers are equipped with Narcan. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, they're using it a lot. We have um, weekly, uh, we have calls of potential overdoses occurring that we respond to with, with Narcan. And, and I just kind of want to make a plug for, for Narcan. It's, it's available. This is kind of the state of affairs as we see it. It's available at CVS, at Walmart. It's available online. Uh, sadly, it's, it's used often because the, the fentanyl um, plague, that's what I'm going to call it, uh, an opiate, uh, in general, the opiate chemical dependency um, crisis that we're in is infecting Vacaville. It's, it's infecting you know, all the cities around us. I, I saw uh, back in 2022, City of San Francisco had 647 overdose deaths. And in 2023, that rose to 806. And that's more than two a day. And that's terrifying. Um, obviously, we're not San Francisco, but you know, we're affected by uh, this, this plague called fentanyl. We do have our vice uh, crimes unit, our crime impact team. They both work together. Anytime we have an overdose or an overdose death, um, our vice team is called out because we want to investigate uh, if it was fentanyl or methamphetamine, whatever the drug was, that we want to do our best to try and track where that came from so that we can uh, hold that person accountable. We've been successful in, in doing that in, in a few cases that uh, are currently um, being litigated in, uh, through the DA's office. But it's, um, it's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're keeping, we're, we're doing our best to, to try and, you know, plug the, plug the gap. But unfortunately, fentanyl is just so widely available. Um, it, it's difficult, but, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can. We're going to continue to, to be innovative and, and, you know, to give our, our staff the equipment, um, our citizens the equipment in order to, you know, better address uh, the, the overdose epidemic, frankly, because we've had way too many uh, recently. Thank you. Councilmember, or actually, we're going to go to Vice Mayor Ritchie. Um, thank you for everything you're doing, uh, Chief. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice. Um, the, the Narcan, it's, that's, it's crazy. I, um, my, I actually, I went on onto the base God, about nine months ago. I carry Narcan sprayer in my lunch bag, my car, my wife, all my, my, my and all grandparents do, just in case 
or around. You can help some kid out. It, it's crazy how fast it can happen. Um, so, uh, so that's thanks for bringing that up. Um, but on a lighter note, I wanted to really just kind of recap. We had an amazing fourth annual MLK celebration here in the city. Um, it was amazing. Uh, it was amazing. This majority of the chamber was here. Everyone, everyone, I felt if you if you weren't here, you, you knew you would want to be there. It was awesome. Um, it was like a gigantic quilt. I mean, it was just a patchwork of people in the community that came out. Um, it was a real expression um, of what Vacaville, what makes Vacaville great, the people come out for diversity. We've had a little bit of a, a couple months of felt like contention over a few items. And it was amazing to see that some people come together to celebrate something that's positive and celebrate a man uh, that died for a cause to make sure everyone had the opportunity to live a certain way in this country. So it, it's just, um, it was a blessing and a beautiful thing to see just the energy of that crowd. And I just, just can't wait to see it continue. And I just wish that spark of kind of that community and diversity, a spark of kind of love, just, I wish it just in a day, just kind of people remember that feeling and continue that through the daily life. But that, it, it was a great event for Backville. Thank you, Council Member Silver. <clears throat> yeah, just uh, wanted to thank, I, I know uh, Greg, uh, you know, uh, was uh, supporting uh, that particular event, uh, but the original uh, founders, Aisha Gutierrez, who, who spoke up in the beginning, um, and actually, I didn't tell anybody this, but uh, I kind of caught her, her husband in the audience, just, you know, just, just proud, proud of what uh, regular folks can actually uh, accomplish and create. Uh, and all those at Vacaville um, People's Forum. Uh, the Solano County uh, Black Chamber of Commerce, uh, they absolutely have uh, really helped uh, bring people throughout the county together. So I'd be really curious to see how uh, this continues to develop um, over over the future years. Um, I have no doubts it's, that it would not continue. I have no doubt that it's going to continue. So I'll be curious to see how, how that evolves. Um, and just the concept of the, uh, uh, of service to others, selfless service to others is something that I, I think like we're always challenging ourselves to embrace. And again, like, you know, we got a prime example of uh, the future generation here, although you guys probably don't, you guys probably feel old, but you're not. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, like you guys, uh, again, show up uh, left and right uh, to, to whatever's going on as much as you can. Uh, I did want to come back to, to one comment that was made about my, my mom made me. Um, Please think whatever, you know, a lot of times we butt heads with our parents and family, um, you know, and uh, just those, if you ask, ask, I feel like I'm old. So you have to ask us old folks, um, you know, uh, like looking back, I'm, I'm very grateful um, that somebody, um, whether, you know, despite they may have their own internal issues and whatnot, uh, but they cared enough uh, to make sure that we showed up at something that, you know, maybe they didn't know if it was going to be valued. Maybe they didn't know if it was going to be helpful. Um, you know, and, and they themselves maybe don't know how to navigate the system, uh, but they think that, hey, this is somebody that might be able to help me help my kid. And so, um, you know, throughout your lives, uh, I just encourage you to please consider, uh, no matter what might be going on internally, just to appreciate that love that they extended out for you um, and then continue to be in a position to pay it forward to, to others, either with your own family or with others you come across. So um, uh, I just... You know, I, I also want to thank them uh, as well for that. Um, so, uh, switching kind of notes here, uh, Brian. Brian here. Oh, he's sleeping. I was playing. I was playing. It was a bad joke. Um, so, 
maybe last year, I can't remember, a year or two ago, we approved funding uh, for some machinery in order to print uh, signs for streets. Because sometimes some people like to take signs. I never did that when I was a kid, but I, you know, some people did. I really didn't. So um, got that, Chief. All right. So, uh, but essentially, uh, I reached out maybe a week ago or, or two. Or, I, I forget. Um, and so, uh, but one of the one of the things that was mentioned is that in order for us traditionally for us to replace a street sign, which could take quite a while. Um, so our ability to be responsive to our residents and you know pathway finding whatnot, you know, in, in that sense wasn't necessarily met. And so one of the one of the uh, arguments was, hey, we can use if we have this funding, we'll be able to be more responsive to to keeping up our city. Um, and that was a prime example of you know just uh, a resident had reached out. All they did was relay the com the message, and they looked into it, confirmed, and printed up and pl uh, placed it up, and you know it was done. So. Um, really want to appreciate you all for um, for being so responsive in that sense. Even though small things may not see, you know, I know there's a lot of big things going on, uh, a lot of different concerns, but a lot of times it's those small things make a difference. So I just want to make sure you guys know that. So thank you all. Councilmember Wiley. I will just echo the thanks and the appreciation for the Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It was really a great event attended by a whole lot of people across the city and everyone appreciated just the, the feeling of we can pull together and make things better for everyone. And it was great to hear how the police department and PAL worked together and, you know, to be better for everyone. And this past week or two weeks ago, it was the uh, retirement for Reggie Hubbard from Parks and Rec. And it was wonderful to see all the other department heads there to say goodbye. And to, so it's just important for everyone to be working cohesively. So I appreciate that in our city. And my frustration is with housing, which we I just want to know how we can continue to try to streamline things. Because I know that's one thing since we've started streamlined permits or something. But if the, you know, the Habitat for Housing was approved in 22, but then we can't start infrastructure to 25. And did he say move people in in 28? Or did he say 26? I, don't, I didn't know exactly. So just anything that we can do, and it's not a Vacaville problem, you know, it's, it's all over. But to hear, you know, the, the PAL talk about what's the problem that's facing families, it's lack of affordable housing and how expensive rents are. So that's just a frustration and see how we can do everything we can to make that better. So that's it. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Um, two things. I... This time last year, we were, we, we, we had received quite a bit of rain. This year, we've received quite a bit, but not as much at the same time as we did last year. I just want to say that I stopped on the bridge today. I wanted to look over the side and see what that water was doing, and it wasn't rushing at all. Very low. Uh, I looked at the debris, and then I had an opportunity to look over it. Uh, you know, Brian had mentioned the flaps. There were some that were missing. There was one that was sitting there in my face and it was closed. I said, you know, this is great. This is great. And I know we haven't had the end of the rain yet, but I just want to thank uh, Brian and his people. Uh, I know we have a lot to do. Um, and 
Brian is on top of it, and I'm thankful for that. And the residents, I'm going to thank you on behalf of the residents uh, that thus far we are not flooding. And then um, this weekend on Saturday, there were so many MLK, was it Monday? Monday? Monday. Oh, Lord. We hear Monday, yeah. I tell you, there were so many events um, taking place. However, on Saturday night, I was at Ulatis at the Performing Arts Center to see Step Africa. I thought I had seen that performance before, but I had seen another one, um, another production out of New York that had come to the area. I had not seen this one. Um, they almost had a sellout. It was, you thought that the crowd at the MLK was very diverse. Um, I mean, it was very representative of Vacaville and it just made me proud. It made me proud. And the other thing that was quite noticeable to me, you know, sometimes you're attending a, a performance, you say, ah, okay, I've had enough, it's time to go. I positioned myself near the back of the theater. And so I had a clear view of the entire facility. Two people got up during the performance and I said, oh, they much energy for them. Evidently, they just went to the bathroom and came back. Can you believe that? Out of And it was a, a full hour and a half, a 90-minute fast pace. It was wonderful. And so if you were able to attend, uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you didn't, if they come back to the area, please go. Please go. It, it's well worth your time. Thank you. I just want to report out um, at the last uh, Solano County water, uh, one of the significant votes was the 25, it's a 25 year renewal for the water that uh, is supported from Lake Berryessa. And while there was robust discussion just because the, the, the Federal Bureau was a little um, lacking in wanting to, to truly be able to have enough time to review things, not wanting to rush mistakes and errors. What it really means at the end of the day is, is um, the, the board voted to approve and to continue what we have. And we have something very special with Lake Berryessa. The rights to the water uh, that provide the agricultural um, waters for, for growing crops, but for all of our cities. and. Uh, it's unique because it doesn't fall under the waters of the United States. It's, it is something truly that when you talk about housing today, well, it's because we make good decisions and hopefully 10 to 20 years from now, we look back and we say, we did it right. And, um, and it wasn't lost on me and I appreciate staff uh, stopping what you were doing because I, I wasn't able to be at Reggie's um, party to, to go because I was at the meeting. But I really needed some insight because nobody wants to make a mistake when you're talking about the security of the of water for Vacaville for the next 25 years. And so I wanna I want to thank Justin and uh, I know I pulled you away from the party and Melinda and Andrea to, to, to really help. So Andrea as well. 
because it's like, is this really where we need to be? Are there er errors? And you can see that all the cities are making sure that we're not going to lose the rights to the water. And it's, it felt like an 11th hour decision, but at the end of the day, I just want to commend you know, the, the work that staff has been doing behind the scenes and that you'll continue to do to ensure language and future contracts that we have with, with uh, Slum County Water. Identify um, the Vacaville is one of the agencies that has the rights to the water. Had we not signed it, the, the truth is it would have required an act of Congress. It would have had to gone through a, a procedural that uh, we would never want to risk losing what we have. And so we talk about we'd, we never want to miss a date if we can avoid it. I can assure you on that day, I did not want to miss the opportunity of getting that right. And so it was just an example of staffs working behind the scenes. And sometimes as council, we don't always see it, but it feels good to feel good that your staff is, is working their very best. And so that night I, I slept well knowing, but I know that I, it was, must've been like five o'clock and the meeting starting at, at 6.30 and I'm seeing an all hands on deck. I need to know what this means because it was a letter that came out of another city. And so you're on it and uh, help me feel informed, so thank you. But for the council, you don't realize it, and now uh, for the vice mayor, you're stepping into where uh, Vice Mayor Wiley from last year, we sit on some of these other boards that are very important for our future. And so that was just another example, sitting on, on the, the board for water. And then lastly, um, I just wanna make a comment just you're you're in the audience still, but this would be for the public. Obviously, couldn't discuss it from business from the floor. Make no mistake, staff is paying attention to what's going on with Flannery. Uh, the council is paying attention. Some of us, like myself, I sit on the Sloan Transportation Authority. Think for a minute that transportation is not an issue when it comes to what California Forever could impact. Talk about energy resilience. Everything that could you know, imply the impact for Vacaville is a subject of discussion, just because it's not on the news. Don't think for a minute that my phone sometimes doesn't ring looking for a comment from the media. I just wasn't able, I literally was taking down the lights of my Christmas tree and I was on the roof and I didn't get it until after deadline. But I've, I've spoken to the media on this issue and I've made it very clear and I have, I have met with Jan Sramek and I have made it very clear there is, there's, we have to see what it is that's being proposed. And their, their first glance of, oh, take a look at this, simply begs more questions to be answered. So I believe that um, it is important for a city such as Vacaville, all the cities and the county and all the interests to make sure that they're heard. And we saw a good example of that when we watched the whole process with Menard and the ENRA for a, a you know, uh, the grid scale battery. It's truly understanding the importance and the implication of groups, could be people, could be groups. What is their interest? How it affects the base. And I just want to be very clear, anything that would impact the economic development of our community would, if, if there is a negative to that, we will be front and center at the table. If it's impacting our water, front and center if it's impacting the quality of life of our community or our agriculture front and center. 
affecting the right of a landowner that now has close to a fifth of, of the county, you can't deny that somebody has a fifth of the county. But that doesn't mean that simply making postures in the media is somehow going on record. There's other ways to, to handle these types of events. And uh, I sit on the executive committee for, for the Travis uh, Community Consortium. So there are people who make and have opportunities to ensure that what is needed to be discussed is discussed and not simply um, making comments that are negative that doesn't necessarily accomplish what it is, to, what our needs are. What we need to do is be calculated and say, this is what's important to Vacaville. This is what's important to our neighbors at Travis and Fairfield and the, and the county and make sure that everything is on the table to be understood before there is, obviously there's a ballot measure, okay? That's their right to, to do what they're going to do. The, the, the importance is, is do we understand the implications of it? And, um, and yes, we're paying attention. And I can assure you, my, myself in particular, I'm paying attention, but I'm not just watching. There's opportunities to be able to bring up questions what does it look like when you when you talk about these things? There there's so much so many more questions. All it did when they when they put out what they did is to say, okay, now we have a place to have a conversation. Not an angry one, but an informed one. And that's where we're at. So with that, um, and that's not going away. It's being talked in our community, it's being talked on the far corners of, of this country. People are talking about it because it's it's, it's an interesting, sensational conversation. Who does this? Shifted from could this be a nefarious from outside the country to now we know what it is, but do we really know what's behind it all? No, we don't. This begs more questions right now. Uh, again, thank you uh, to staff for all that you've done. Um, it's been, for us, it's been a year. Yes. So I uh, look forward to seeing the commission, uh, the applications. And uh, I, that's all I have to share for now. Appreciate the updates and good night, Vacaville.